The Theonauts, episode 67. The one where we said what we meant to say, not what we thought we meant to say, or so we think. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Wordsmiths out there. Welcome to the Theonauts Podcast. I'm David Gaddy, and I have with me... Colin Pennington. Yes. My good friend Colin is is in the studio filling in for Jeremiah. And uh, good news, though. I've been talking with Jeremiah, and uh, he plans to be back next week, and hopefully we'll be back on somewhat of a regular schedule there. So, But, Colin, thanks for coming in. And filling in. Sure, sure. Glad to do it. So you, you've actually listened to the podcast a few times, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I like to fill my time in traffic with something worth listening to. So, uh, yeah, you're on my, uh, my top list of podcasts to, <laughs> to review. Yeah, well, that probably happened once I said, hey, do you want to be on the Theonauts? Well, you know, that helps. <laughs> it helps a lot. <laughs> so, anyway, Colin and I go way back. Uh, we've, we've been uh, studying this type of stuff for years and years together and uh, you know always bantering back mm, and forth late nights have you ever thought about no. xyz <laughs> but have you ever thought about uh... <laughs> yeah in fact uh, uh one of one of our uh, topics that we have touched on many times before we talked about on the show a few weeks ago it's the, true the uh the ultimate destiny of the lost it's true and whether hell is eternal torment or not and survey says no, just kidding. There was no poll <laughs> to be continued. No, but but to, but to be clear, Michael would really like you. I think. Well, I think I'd so, really like him. Yeah, <laughs> you should have us on the show together. Hey, that would be a great Perfect. idea. See, then I get ganged up on. Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, you did a really cool thing. Uh, you sent me some feedback <laughs> in this email here. About our pr- a previous episode, what was it that you were that you had going on there? Well, so like I said, I'm stuck in traffic, right? And I uh, haven't eaten like all day long, and I'm listening, and uh, I, I just want to complain a little bit. First of all, you made me hungry because first you're talking about like carrots and things, then you're talking about sandwiches, <laughs> and then you're talking about Big Macs, and I'm like, good grief, it's gonna be like roast beef here in a little bit. I'm just like starving to death, but. But no, in all seriousness, there was one piece that stuck out to me. You were talking about the first sandwich, which I thought was delectable, and um. And and you couched 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 touched uh, the uh, the meat piece, which was to mourn, and um, and I thought that was uh, was really interesting. Um, and I, I immediately went back to my college days, and I was thinking about uh, Psych 101. Whenever uh, my my professor there um, just kind of threw out the idea that maybe depressed people actually saw the world more clearly than anyone else. Mm. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, you know, that may not be false. And um, I found a little blurb on the net that says that de- there's something called depressive realism. And it's the, uh, it basically proposes that people with depression actually have a more accurate perception of reality. Specifically, that they're less affected by positive illusions um, of illusory super- superiority and optimism bias. 
Um, studies by psychologist Alloy and Abr sorry, Abramson uh, in 1979 and Dobson and Frank in 1989 suggested that the, the depressed people appear to have a more realistic perception of their importance, their reputation, their locus of control, and their abilities than those who are not depressed. And so I started thinking about you know, what it meant to be a mournful person and, and one who would actually recognize um, being uh, kind of down in the dumps-ish, so to mm -hmm. speak. You know, I think that a lot of times, especially in America, we get this um, this popular, uh, I'm giddy because I'm high on life and the world is my oyster kind of <clears> thing. And, right. and we come across people who are actually pretty real with themselves about where they're at in life. And mm -hmm. we think, oh man, what's wrong with you? Well, and that makes perfect sense when you think about it in terms of everyone looks out for number one. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the hierarchy of needs, you know, and we mm -hmm. study all this stuff in philosophy and and we've talked about that stuff on the show before. And it's it's like everyone is focused on themselves. That's where mm -hmm. they're they're always mm -hmm. focused at. And uh, the, the your ego is a big issue. And mm -hmm. I guess if, if you have a pessimistic outlook, you know, some somewhat less of an optimistic one, there could be it brings you kind of back to center, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Well, so. and, and I think that the people who don't have this this I'm going to call it a meek outlook or bleak outlook, so to speak. I think that they're maybe focused on the wrong things, and myself included, I think most of the population included. I thought this was interesting because it was kind of sandwiched, this thought was sandwiched between what you called the meek breads. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, I thought it drew an excellent point with the practice of seating Shiva, or Shiva as you called it. Um, those who would practice this act do so because they see what's important. They know, I mean, anyone who's experienced loss, they come into a room immediately you feel your heartstrings pull and you want desperately to tell someone that you care. You want to tell them everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You want to tell them that they are uh, going to make it through. Maybe you've been there. and But the reality is, is if you've been there, you know that nothing they say can help. Yeah. And so um, the this culture has got it right. There There isn't anything that they can say that's going to counteract this. It isn't the larger house or whether they could stay in touch in a dark moment. It's it's that they know that nothing is important enough to matter in that moment. Right. Um, and, and so they sit in silence to comfort those in pain. And that is so hard from, from the comforter standpoint mm -hmm. because you want so desperately to say something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and But, you know, if you talk to, to anybody, I know like uh, when we had Kevin on the show and was talking about depression and that sort of thing, he brought up a good point and he was like, I don't want to hear someone tell me that they know what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. because nobody knows what I'm right. feeling. Sure. You might be feeling something similar. You might have gone through something similar, but you're not feeling what I'm feeling. Sure. And, uh, and to, to, to say that is offensive whenever you, whenever you are there, whenever you have that. Well, it can go the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. right. It can just go the wrong direction. Well, because... look, look at uh, uh, Bildad and company when they opened their mouths in front of Job. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it was like, well, you were doing fine when you weren't saying anything. Everything was going great. Then you opened your mouth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but you know, isn't that interesting though? That sometimes, um, you know, when we say something, it, it doesn't come off how we meant it. Right. And uh, irony, <laughs> much? I don't know. What are we talking about today? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we say one word and we mean something entirely different, or maybe someone tells us something and we completely miss the point because of the wording they use. Right. And so that's great segue into what we're going to be. Uh, chat about today um well let's go ahead and do a little news and now the news 
So Jeremiah hasn't been around to handpick all these news articles. Mm. So I have um, someone, a listener, uh, Meredith Neal, actually sent me a link to this news article. It's more of a an editorial type of of, uh, of social article by Relevant Magazine. I thought I would read it because I thought it was really cool uh, because it kind of gives us an idea about what people think of us as Christians or what they think of Christianity in general, people that are kind of outside. What, what it was, this article is called The Theology of Google Autocomplete. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so he sa- they say, we used Google's autocomplete function to see what questions people have about Christianity and the results are concerning. In the last decade, Google has become so synonymous with looking for answers that to Google something is part of an everyday life for almost anyone on the internet con- with an internet connection. And thanks to an algorithm that tracks every search in history, <laughs> the search engine is getting smarter with each individual query. This makes the autocomplete feature a weird look into the collective questions plaguing modern culture and the thoughts of the masses. <laughs> So we decided to plug in a few faith-based questions and statements into the search field and let autocom- and let autocomplete, which tries to guess what you are going to type based on the volume of searches it's seen in the past, tell you what people are looking for. The results weren't always encouraging, but for Christians who are seeking to shape and influence culture, they can provide some interesting insight into the answers people want to know. A quick note about their methodolo- metho- methodology. We paused all of our personal settings so none of our past searches would influence the results. Also, we changed the location setting from our local, uh, using the IP address of where we were, to showing the entire U.S. So, yes, they hacked. Google hacks. Lovely. So, on Christians, this, this one is the most discouraging. It seems that most people who turn to the Internet for answers about the body of Christ mostly want to know why Christians are such a bummer. Hopefully, this is one area we can all be part of changing. It also seems Googlers are curious about Christian's bacon consumption. (laughs) So the first screenshot that they included here says, Christians are, and the first first one that popped up was annoying. So the... (laughs) All right. I tend to agree sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the next one was, why are Christians... And the first thing that popped up was so mean. Okay. Okay. I can see that one too. So. The next one was, why do Christians, and then the, the ones that popped up were fast, eat pork, pray, and get baptized. <laughs> all right, all right. So anyway, so it, kind of disconcerting. Uh, why do they think we're mean? Why do they think that we're annoying? Well, uh, maybe we're human. Maybe we are. Oh, weird. <laughs> Well, and I think that a lot of times uh, people don't know how to handle their faith. That's true. And they don't know how to—they don't know how to handle—they don't know how to socialize what they're feeling and what they're—you know—or if they've been raised in it. Well, then they're completely socially inept well, you in know, a lot if, of cases. I think it comes down to something that's <clears throat> larger than you. I mean, if you're involved in some kind of a cataclysmic event where maybe you had to rush into a—I don't know—a burning building and save someone, you're telling somebody about that for months. You're just so impacted by it and you just cannot contain it and you're like man and then the smoke was like this and the fire was like that and and uh well 
you can't help but spill it over because it's bigger than you. And right. I think that that's kind of the way that, that God happens to, to a lot of Christians is it is something that's bigger and a lot of people don't know how to to restrain it, at least in some degree, to, to feed it to someone at a, at a non-fire hose volume. Right, right. That's a good point. On Jesus himself, it says in terms of Jesus, questions Google users have about Christianity's central figure are all over the map, though they seem particularly concerned with the second coming. Also, there are a shockingly large number of people who are curious about whether Jesus has any ink. Oh, tattoo on his thigh. I can see that. (laughs) All right. So the first thing they typed in was, is Jesus... And the things that popped up were God, real, mm-hmm. black, <laughs> coming soon. Yes. <laughs> and God, the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he real? Mm-hmm. Uh, is he God? Is he dead? Mm-hmm. Um, is he God's son? Is he in the Old Testament? Uh, let's see, another one. Jesus is love, my friend, just all right. <laughs> The Dewey Brothers. They made it into the top of it. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is my hero, is the answer, is Lord, is God. Uh, another coming soon uh, song, coming soon song, and Jesus is real. Um, does Jesus care? Does Jesus have a tattoo? <laughs> TV. Does Jesus have a last name? Um, is not Christ. <laughs> Just that everyone should know. <laughs> he doesn't have a middle initial of H I know, either. I was like, What's the deal with the middle initial? It's like Horace. <laughs> and actually, you know, there's some there is some historical accuracy to the H thing. And I've it has been a while. Maybe Michael can remind me of this because uh, I think he, he said something about it one time before. But if you go back, it, it goes back to, I think, Latin, either Latin okay. or Greek in the uh, acrostics of Jesus' son of okay. God or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, H is an abbreviation for one of the Latin or Greek words in this acrostic. <laughs> makes sense. So it actually has some historical background. but It's kind of cool. Kind of out of context there okay is jesus coming soon coming back in 2015 coming back in september of 2015 coming back this year <laughs> coming back to the foster i don't get that one coming back to the foster. is jesus it's coming australian back australian for beer is he coming <laughs> is he coming back uh before the tribulation is he coming back to the white house I don't know. I'm just totally <laughs> losing it. Okay, so then on sin and salvation, let's see what people are looking for. Unsurprisingly, people seem pretty concerned about hell and what is and isn't considered sin. Oh, this could actually play into some of what we're talking about today. Maybe. But the questions about how salvation is obtained may be a sign that desperate and prevalence of Christianity is how desperate and prevalent it is in our culture. The church needs to do a better job communicating some of our basic theologies. Mm. So they typed in, can I be saved? <clears throat> and these are what come up. Can I be saved after the rapture? <laughs> okay. so it's like, yeah, I'll just hold off. Warning flare and <laughs> go, go, go. Can I be saved and still sin? Uh, can I be saved and not go to church? Um, some, of these, some of these have 
affirmative answers, but not necessarily you don't want the affirmative yeah. to be answered. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, like it gives the wrong connotation sure. if you say, well, yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah. So like a guy, a guy I used to work with, you said, yes, uh, Christians could rape somebody and it's okay. Um, I don't know if okay is the right word to use there. We can be forgiven, you know. It's like, okay, well, I get that, but that doesn't mean you should start go raping people. Right. You know, what this is kind of saying is that, that America is really just wanting to do the bare minimum here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it kind of sounds like. Unless they change their IP address to somewhere overseas, which, who knows. Yeah, because here's another one. Can I be saved if I continue to sin? Can I be saved if I, con- if I committed adultery? Uh, can I be saved and still go to hell? Wow. Mm, okay. Well, Huh. Can I be safe from hell? Um, is it a sin? Is it a sin to drink? Is it a sin to be gay? Is it a sin to get a tattoo? <laughs> the tattoos again. There, on to this. Tattoo, that's a big thing. Like, Jesus had a tattoo. Um, is, is it a sin to eat pork? Is it a sin to gamble, to cuss, to smoke, to smoke weed, to cut your hair, and to eat meat? So people are concerned All right. about, uh, hey, can I just... Do- Overall of how to behave, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, am I saved? Uh, the very first thing that popped up was quiz. Ooh. Give me a quiz. I, I just want to know. <laughs> am I saved? Test is the second one. Hmm. Rate yourself on a one to six for the and, following ten questions. And then, of course, that goes right back into Am I saved if I keep sinning? So, <clears throat> interesting things here. Mm-hmm. Um, will I go to the first one's heaven? Second one's hell. Next one is hell quiz. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted a quiz. I, I don't want the Bible. Just give me one of those answers.com pages that Somebody I can... already filled it out on the plane. <laughs> I need you to give me another one. Okay, on Christian practices, considering that there's a frequent debate within Christian circles about issues like prayer, worship, the church, and reading the Bible, it's not all surprising that Googlers have questions too. Why is the church apostolic? That's an interesting one to be number one. Hmm. Uh, Skewed. Why is the church one? Why is the church important? Why is the church Catholic? (laughs) (laughs) Why is the church holy? Why is the church against gay marriage? Why is the church against homosexuality? Um, You can kind of see what's on this culture's mind. Um, Does God exist? Does God love everyone? Does God test us? Uh, what does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about divorce? What does the Bible say about tattoos? <laughs> uh, what does the Bible say about gays? Um, does prayer work? Does prayer really work? Does prayer help? <laughs> is worship is worship important? Is worship a sacrifice? Is worship only singing? You know, there are some... Um, this is really going to play into <laughs> to a couple of the things that we have to talk about. It's amazing. Um, so anyway, the autocomplete experiment isn't exactly an all-encompassing look at the cultural misunderstandings about faith and Christianity, but they do provide some insight into perception that large numbers of people have and the questions that we can all do a better job of addressing. Um, you know what it reminded me of? There's a, uh, a movie, a documentary that I watched one time. It was called Beware of Christians. Have you heard of that? I've not heard of that, no. It's actually, it was filmed uh, by some uh, some college guys down here uh, from, I think from SMU. They were in the uh, in the Dallas area, uh, in the Highland Park area. 
<laughs> and uh, anyway, what they did was they took a road trip around, well, I say road trip, they took a world traveling trip all around the world. Hmm. And their whole goal was, let's find out what people think about Christians. And so everywhere they went, that's what they did was they would ask people, what, what's your opinion of Christians? What do you think about Christians? And, wow. and that sort of thing. And it was kind of along these same lines. Uh, you, we found out pretty quickly that there's a negative view of, Christi- of Christians. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, and, and so the thing that we just need to do is, is I think part of that becomes the way we treat people. Mm-hmm. If we treated people like Jesus treated people, I don't think we'd have that same reputation. Because no, I don't, don't think Jesus had that reputation. I mean, people hated him. The religious people hated him. Yeah, I mean. But the common folk, you know, they didn't have that, that animosity. Uh, so. Well, one could only hope we could be uh, a little more like him, a little less like us, and yeah. uh, maybe not be crucified, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, who knows? The way things may be, or may be headed. Right. Well, uh, Jeremiah had tweeted to our Theonauts uh, podcast, just specifically so we could have... Brothers and sisters, come together, <laughs> hallelujah, the Pope is here. Yes, Jeremiah sent us some Pope news by proxy. So, here's the article, it comes from Fox News. A teenager's ISIS-inspired plot to attack Pope Francis during the U.S. visit was more aspirational than operational, a law enforcement source confirmed to Fox News on Tuesday. So, yes, there was a team who was plotting to attack Pope Francis during his visit here. The 15-year-old was arrested in Philadelphia area in August when law enforcement authorities foiled the plot. The plot is the same one that Representative Mike McCall, Republican from Texas, the Homeland Security Chairman, referred to during an interview on Sunday, a source told Fox News. He said, we are monitoring very closely threats against the Pope as he comes into the United States this week. We have disrupted one particular case. Pope Francis was not named as a specific target of the plot in August 14th FBI Department of Homeland Security Joint Intelligence Bulletin that said the team planned to use multiple attackers, firearms, and explosives to target a, quote, foreign dignitary at a high-profile event. The Bulletin said the minor was radicalized via social media. So there's a Pope threat that's not necessarily a Pope threat. Kind of, sort of, but... But so does he get props for like uh, you know intervening here like uh, who Jeremiah for posting this? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, I mean like the law enforcement guys. You know, it's like do they do they actually you know get some kind of special treatment now like front row tickets whenever the the mobile comes through or what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That may be and maybe so because one of the things that they said here at the at the end he ended it by saying I'm concerned. He's a very passionate man. <laughs> he likes to get out with the people, and with that comes a large security risk. So, I mean, obviously, he's wanting to beef up the security around the Pope. It kind of seems like a, a, a stretch to say that this was specifically aimed at the Pope, even that's the headlines. But. I wonder what their reasoning is for, for blaming social media. It's kind of like uh, how in the 80s we used to blame rap music. Right. Yeah. And, oh, and heavy metal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Back masking, you play the record backwards. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Led Zeppelin's telling you how, uh, how to worship Satan. Yeah. <laughs> I think I heard it. I think I heard it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on.
One of the things that keeps coming into my mind when we're talking about this topic is, you remember The Princess Bride? You know, still to this day, I've never seen that movie from, from start to what? finish. I know, all the times <laughs> that you guys have thrown that out and been like, you have to see this movie. I've just never seen it. I think I may even have the movie. I, I don't even, but yeah, I've never seen you, it. We've got this, this uh, you know, there's one, one of the characters in the show is constantly inconceivable, you know? And finally, the Spaniard says, that word you keep using, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> womp, 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 womp. So I think that's kind of what, uh, what we're talking about today is um, words that we use all the time, speaking about Christian circles and what, how people perceive Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a language that we Christians have. There's there's these words that are biblical centric words, you know that. Yeah, well, you know, and it's it's not that you say we as in Christian circles use these words. I, I think the point we're going after today is that though we use the same words, we're not all talking the same language to begin with. That's true. And so, right. so even though we have our own language, <laughs> we all speak very different dialects, and they don't mean the same thing. So, I mean, this is, I mean, I would consider this to be a prevalent issue today. Um, you know. How can we communicate with each other if we don't even speak the same language? It kind of reminds me of the Garden of Eden. You know, um, the snakes there. Right. We know the other right. two guys, main characters, you know, um, supporting actor and actress. So um, <laughs> Satan uh, basically comes up to Eve and, and, and rather than, you know, because she's, she's all of the opinion of, you know, oh, no, we can't eat this because we shall surely die. And then, of course, in the in the Colin paraphrase version, you know, Satan turns around and says, "No, no, no! You will not surely die, but for the first time ever, Eve, your eyes will be opened, and you'll know good and evil. And God knows it. That's why He doesn't want you to eat the fruit. And so, so He just ever so subtly just throws a little knot in there and just mm-hmm. changes the meaning altogether. Right. Um, and that's the way He works. You know, He, he just changes a, just a <coughs> little." bit and that's all he just reinterprets what god said and it doesn't even have to be all that much just enough just enough Mm -hmm. and then and then boom so so let me illustrate this further so um okay so what does it mean to be to die because that's really the word that got twisted around right oh yeah or surely yeah die i mean what does surely mean (laughs) is that a question mark don't call me surely (laughs) 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 yeah so uh, like Die was. I mean, there's. Did they even know what it meant to die at that point? Right. What was their experience? Yeah. I mean, what, so what was their perception of the word? Had anything <clears throat> died yet? Mm. I mean, uh, maybe I don't know. Not, there, not there my understanding of it. Grass it, yeah. and seeds and things, and so far things are just living. So I mean, it could have been that they just had no idea what dying was. But, um, but I just think it's really, really interesting that that it was so easy to take the bait. Right. You know? um, and uh, and just to be, it's almost like the the need to have what it is that was explained was far greater than sticking to what God just said. Yeah. And uh, and I think that some of the things that we read, you know, I mean, I know you guys had the, the recent study over, you know, Bible verses that get you kind of tangled up. Right. Right. Um, it it's it's so easy to to want something so bad. Therefore, the Bible you want you want the Bible to say something so bad that you just start looking so hard for it to make it mean what you want it to mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like I've yeah. told people before, you know, <coughs> the Bible doesn't need you, yes, in order to be true. And you know, it's the, just true. The term that we wrap around that that we've used a few times on the show is eisegesis. 
That's mm-hmm. that's where you in, inject. Exegesis is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed mm-hmm. to draw knowledge from the Bible. But what we do a lot of times is isogesis, where we push thoughts into the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and, you know, I think that just like any tool can be used for good or for bad mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, concordance is a perfect example. Uh, oh, yeah. The existence of a concordance actually helps further this problem. It does. Um, you know, I, I don't know any Christian bookshelf I've ever seen that doesn't have a Strong's or a Strongest Strong's or a Strongest Strongest Strong's or whatever they're up to now um, for their concordance. <laughs> the ultimate Strongest the Strong's. The ultimate unbreakable adamantium version yeah. of Strong's. The <laughs> um, but and they're really useful tools, but even myself, I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally guilty of this. I'll sit down and I'll be like, man, I'm just going to go and I'm going to look up a word and I'm just going to read about that word everywhere. Yeah. I want every verse that mentions the yeah. word. And and now they're on computers, so you can just do a quick search, you know, at, at Blue Letter Bible or something like that. And yeah. just poof, it's in front of you and you've got every word that you ever wanted to know. And suddenly you're able to just say, oh, this all means the same exact thing. Every word, everywhere that ever said anything about fire all means the same type of fire. Yes. You know, versus, you know, having different types of fire that mean incredibly different things, and then you start to really get confused, so. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 where Satan's got a really good foothold mm-hmm. um, right now. Um, you know, I mean, and, and, and to, to elaborate a little bit on this, to, like, say how this can affect us, let's say let's say your doctor calls in a prescription of something called CDEX. Okay. Because you need an antibiotic. And CDEX is an antibiotic. However, your pharmacy tech, they hear CDEX instead of CDAX. And it gives you a gallon jug of this yellow fluid, <laughs> which is normally used to clean medical instruments. It's an antibiotic, all right, but it's to clean medical instruments. And so, on the one hand, if you were able to take the actual CDAX, you would be on the road to recovery. But if you drank the CDEX, well, the MSDS sheets say that if you ingest it, don't even try to throw it up because it's going to chemically burn your throat even more. <laughs> oh, great. Even though they're both <laughs> antibiotics. So I think this is a really cool point because they're both antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And you could really argue the point. <clears throat> they're both antibiotics. It doesn't matter the small nuances that one is used to clean tools and the other is used to you know, clean up the, uh, uh, the body. And so it's incredibly important not to get those two things mixed up. And I think that that a lot of these words that we use and that we're going to go over today especially are are some that that can be really grave mm-hmm. if, if we don't distinguish. Some of them have, have small little nuances that we need to distinguish between, and some of them are just completely taken out of context or they've been proof-texted to the point to where they say something entirely different. Right, or they've been uh, translated so many times into so <laughs> many different dialects or whatever. I mean, you start like, for example... Um, with translating it into English, which mm-hmm. is that in and of itself is a huge thing. So much is lost in translation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't even realize, I guess they might realize it from a, a, a logical level, mm-hmm. but, from a, but from an emotional level, mm-hmm. they don't really realize that this is that, you know, Jesus didn't say verily, verily. <laughs> <laughs> Never said that. Uh, but the thing but because you this uh, especially the King James translation has been around for 400 years and this isn't that was in the birth of the English language Mm -hmm. and so the English language has changed so much so you add that on top of it now we've got words that don't even mean what they meant back then Mm -hmm. people are using them and assuming imposing 
a modern day understanding of that word onto a 400 year old document, which, by the way, was a translation mm-hmm. of, a, of, mm-hmm. a, of a document that dated back, you know, 1600 years before that. Sure, sure. You know, I've got a version of the uh, 1611 <coughs> King James. Right. Um, just for, I don't know, nostalgia. I don't know. It's like an old Nintendo game for me. But yeah. But I, I like to just pick it up and look at it every once in a while because it, it, when you open it up, I mean, the spellings of the words, I, I guess a lot of people don't even realize the King James Version that, that most people use uh, uh, nowadays, uh, not, not the new King James, but just the King James Version that most people use, has been so cleaned up mm-hmm. from that original text. I mean, the words, like like when you read a, a verse now, you might see the word, um, I, I don't know, thing. And... Uh, and, and that word thing may be in a sentence three times, and it may be spelled differently three different times in the same sentence. And so that was one of the efforts that was put forth in the King James was they went through and they actually cleaned up the spellings of these words. Right. And, and well, part of that had to do with, with the fact that the King James translation is responsible in a large part for defining the English language mm-hmm. because it was an Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. thing. It began to... to Form. It, I mean, that's really one of the key texts that was used to create it. So it was perfectly grammatically okay mm-hmm. to spell a word three different ways because you were doing it phonetically, mm-hmm. uh, and then people started cleaning it up. No, let's mm-hmm. let's drop yeah. that e at the end. We don't need that. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Or the, the <clears throat> f's and s's or v's and w's and I mean just yeah the fonts and stuff. Yeah. All changed and everything was different. So yeah, it's it's just really interesting to look at that and and to think, you know, man. It, it, for me, the the hard thing was always to go through and find where the punctuation was, mm-hmm. because in original scripture, there's not there's no punctuation, absolutely right. no punctuation. And one of the most one of the most telling verses is where you know Jesus is on the cross, and he says, "This day, you will be with me." And mm-hmm. and and if, when you go through and you read that verse. Pay attention to where the comma is and try and move it and see what happens. It's, it's a fun game. All the listeners will love to go play it. I can hear the pages <laughs> turning now. So, yeah, just go in and check it out. It's a pretty cool little trick you can do with a comma. And, uh, and, and it, it, it is really interesting what it mm-hmm. does. And it doesn't matter how word-for-word, word, quote-unquote, your translation is. It's going to have thoughts of the translator in it. Yep. Punctuation is a perfect example. You can't punctuate with, unless you're understanding what you believe he's saying. Mm-hmm. In this, I mean, so you're, you have to interpret it and then write it down. Mm-hmm. Even if the mm-hmm. words are closely um, closer to the original, there's still some lost in translation stuff mm-hmm. that, that happens. So let's talk about um, some words uh, that are often used by... Um, by Christians and others as well, that may or may not mean what we think they mean now and that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, one I'd like to start with is the, is just the word church. Yeah. And uh, I, I think we may have touched on this on the show before, but I just think this is a very interesting uh, word because the, the word in the original um, Greek language is ekklesia. And uh, if you look it up in your strongest strongs or your exhaustive strongs or your andamantium strongs it's going to say that um that it means a called out people or an assembly of people um so you've got all these verses that use the word church now what a lot of people don't realize is there was a big debate back then on this word uh because before the English language, that word came into play long before the English language. Was it Druid? Did yes, it was Druish, 
to, to begin with, the, uh, the Druids used it because that was how they worshipped, was in a circle. Mm-hmm. And the word church actually means circle. circle. And so um, it, whenever the Catholicism began to draw in the pagan influences and this sort of thing that it, that it did early on after it became a legalized uh, religion, they adopted this word uh, to mean for their gatherings. It was church. And so church really, the word church really has a Catholic, um, um, Roman Catholic uh, or, or, or origin um, mm-hmm. besides where, how the Druids used it. Now, whenever it became time to, this started, stuff started being translated into English, the English speakers were using the word church to refer to Holy, Holy Roman Church and all this sort of thing. But <clears throat> you had this word ecclesia all throughout mm-hmm. the text, which meant assembly. Mm-hmm. So some of the pioneers in English translation was like uh, William Tyndale, who used the, the word congregation almost every time right. in, the, um, in, in his translation. Mm-hmm. You won't hardly ever find that word church in his translation. It is usually always uh, congregation. Sure. And, uh, of course, it was outlawed to translate the, the Bible into English at that time, and he ended up losing his life over this whole thing. But when it finally came around to this King James translation, um, there was already a debate happening about how the word ecclesia should be translated. And the, those that were s- sort of on the fringe of this Reformation were wanting to use assembly mm-hmm. because they didn't see themselves as part of the Catholic church. Right. But the Catholic church wanted the word church used. Um, I want to pull up one good example of why this is important to, um, to the Roman Catholics of the, mid- of the Middle Ages, um, and that is in Matthew 18. This is a, a passage about um, <clears throat> dealing with problems with brothers. In, um, and it starts there in verse 15, and it says, uh, I'm reading from the ESV. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so the word church here is ecclesia. It means assembly, a called out group of people. Mm -hmm. However, um, when you read this with that word church in there, what comes to mind? The governmental Mm -hmm. portion of your Christian organization. Sure. And so that's what the Catholics wanted you to believe. They They wanted you to bring your stuff to them for arbitration. Uh, so it was important that this word stay in there. Um, however, um, the church as the body of Christ did not even exist at this point in history. Hmm. Uh, Christ had not established it in the way of his death, burial, and resurrection yet. So what was Jesus saying? Mm-hmm. He was probably, these are, are Jews listening to him. They're mm-hmm. probably thinking synagogue. Sure. That's probably what came to their mind. Uh, but it could have been any called-out group of people. Bring in a group of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and let them help arbitrate what's going on. 
So that's why it was important. They, the Catholic Church didn't want this happening outside of their authority. Sure. So it was very big for them. And so a lot of people don't realize this, but the King James translators had a um, they had given had been given instructions by King James himself that said everywhere ecclesia is mentioned you must use the word church and so that is why the word church exists in our in our modern Bibles today even in these newer translations mm-hmm. because it has become part of our vernacular and it has become so ingrained that at this point you can't back it out sure it's like Velcro <laughs> or Kleenex. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, uh, that's just the, the first one. So whenever we think about this word church, it's so hard because we use that word all over the place. Um, I'm going to go to church. Yep. Well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's... Well, then you've got things like, I'm going to take you to church. And it's like, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> yeah, or uh, I need to go clean the church. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to church you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all the all these things that the word is just used all over the place. Sure. And uh, and you know, if you're talking about church as in the body of Christ, that's us. You can't go to that. No. You need to be that. Mm-hmm. Assemble and, that. Right. <laughs> the Avengers. <laughs> so anyway, um, so anyway, uh, what what word do you have there you want to talk about? Um, you know, one that's uh, it's kind of interesting um, is gospel. Yes. Okay. Um, this is another big one. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love this word, um, mostly because I didn't always know exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that must sound crazy. There's probably people out all everywhere just shutting off iPads right now. Um, <laughs> but no, um, in all seriousness, uh, whenever I was, uh, you know, just, just picking up tidbits here and there, listening to, to sermons growing up, um, the way that it was couched in all these different statements made me think it was, uh, could have been anything. I mean, it could have been all kinds of things. Right. Um, but uh, to set the record straight, um, I mean, the gospel specifically means uh, good news. Right. I mean, th- that's kind of kind of widespread knowledge nowadays. Everybody's talking about that, you know. Uh, one of the easier ones to grasp. But the thing that really gets me in this is um, is even though we know that, and it's almost second nature to jump to that and be like, well, I know, yeah, of course, gospel means good news. Who doesn't know that? Ha, ha. Beat yes. your chest a little yes. bit, rattle your chain. But then you start reading the Bible, and and this is a good challenge. Uh, in fact, going forward throughout all of this, if you hear a word or if you if you think you know a word, look it up and see what it means, and and, and kind of dig in a little bit. And then rather than just leave it at that, because it's really easy to, to segment that off and kind of compartmentalize that in your brain, and then go and read through the Bible and kind of forget that you know what that word means. Take that word with you, mm-hmm. and start trying to apply it <clears throat> into the sentences where you're reading it. Because uh, when you take the word gospel and you start reading it. You're going to quickly like just just supplant good news or, or switch it out with good news everywhere, and it doesn't always seem to make sense. Right, because we think of it in broader terms than that. Right, we think of it even in an all-encompassing thing in many in many cases. Right, um, and I mean we've we've even uh, gone as far as to say, well, the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Matthew or you mm-hmm. know these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like they all have different gospels. Right. <laughs> well, what's, what's Mark's gospel? I don't know. Is this, is this any other gospel? I mean, mm-hmm. so we start to get all these things confused. But, but the one that really uh, gets me um, is obey the gospel. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, 
I take it at face value. If if you have the gospel, let's say the gospel is good news, right? Because right, it is. Right. Um, but let's just translate that a step further and say say any form of good news. Let's figure out something that's good news. Like uh, maybe maybe you, you've got a friend who has cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to the doctor. They go through treatment and they go through remission and 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 all this. And and now they're cancer free. That's great news. I mean, you're you're crying. Your families are celebrating. This is just great news and then somebody jumps in the scene and just says obey it <laughs> and you're like wait what i don't i don't understand how am i gonna obey that right you know extra extra read all about it obey it it's like i don't know and so <laughs> obey obey your thirst and so so it really changes for me from being the gospel which is the hard word to understand mm-hmm um, because simply that's just good news. But but then what does obey mean? Right. And that hits hardcore with me because uh, because I like to be an obedient person. I like to be an obedient servant to God. I like to, you know, I, I tend to, even though I'd love to be a rebel and I kind of identify with that, I, I tend to be a rule follower, you know, and I like to get things right and I like to get things perfect. Um, you know, my wife and I are working on a house right now and, and, and she'll... Yeah, you're one of the most OCD people I've met. <laughs> You know, my wife would agree with you on one hand and probably disagree on the other. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I like to be, you know, I like to have the correct information at hand. And so, so then I'm thinking about this and I'm like, well, now how do I obey the gospel? Mm-hmm. How do you obey the gospel? And, uh, and how so, do you obey good news? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you, how do you do that? And so I started looking into this and, um, you know, the, the verse that comes to mind, of course, every time I hear the Bible, it's in King James Version, just because that's what I've heard all my life. Um, and it's more fun to read it that way with a James Earl Jones accent. But um, <laughs> but it says, in flaming fire, take it, this is Second uh, Thessalonians 1 and 8. Um, it says, in, in, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a showstopper right there. That's like yeah. throwing on the air brakes, we're stopping. Here what comes the, the fire. What in the world? We're in danger here. And so. Um, and what's everybody Googling? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Keep me out of yes, hell. Can exactly. I st- can I still sin? Can I have a tattoo on yeah. me? So, <laughs> so how do you obey the gospel? And so, um, so what's interesting is to look at this. There's actually a word, and uh, it, it's actually the Greek. Um, if you're one of those people who has one of those Strong's concordances on your shelf, I'll do you a favor. It's fifty-two nineteen, is the coding number, but it's uh, hupakuo, and um, it means to come to the door, and listen to who it is. And, and that's not the only definition of God of of, of obey. Of obey, right? Um, of course, there is the traditional obey uh, to fall under obedience. Follow a mandate. To, yeah, right. exactly. But but there, this other this other definition is definitely there, um, and it's it's not even like a, a subset. It's it's actually an equal uh, an equal translation, an equal uh, definition um, to come to the door and listen to who it is. Mm. And uh, and this word is also the same exact word hupakuo is translated differently in different places in the Bible. Even in the King James Version, um, there are verses where it's translated into the word hearken. And so, as you're reading through the Bible, you may be reading the word hearken, and it makes sense to you because you think of hark the herald angels sing and all this kind of... You, you, right. you think of, a, oh, listen, or you know this kind well, of thing. And look what Jesus himself says. You know, seek and you shall find. Knock mm-hmm. and the door shall be opened unto you. And, and what did he tell... Uh, I forget, one of the... One of the seven churches of Revelation. He told them, 
behold, I stand outside and knock. Mm -hmm. You're not answering the door. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or I am the door. Yes, so he used this. Men it makes yeah. perfect sense why this could be used with the word Absolutely. gospel. And, good and so, news. so when you think about the good news, you know, and, and you hear obey the good news, and, and we, can, we can recapture it back in this verse, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. So that's the first qualifier. They don't know God. Right. Um, and, and I think it's, it's interesting that the hupakuo means to listen to who it is. Mm. So they know not God and that obey not or listen to. They don't listen to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just hearing it. It's not just like, oh, it's, on, it's a radio in the background as we're walking through the mall. But not heeding to it. It's like bringing it in. It's as if you're at home alone, the electricity's out, and suddenly there's a knock at the door. You know, you, you want to know who's out there. <laughs> and, and so you're listening to every last bit of it, and, and you're hanging on every last moment to know all there is about it and to, to know who it is. Right. And, and so I think that that, for me anyway, is a, just a better, uh, better explanation that makes a little bit more sense to me mm -hmm. um, as far as obeying the gospel. Now, now if it's good news, I'm going to hang on every moment of it. I'm going to listen to right. it as though it's a curiosity outside the door and I want to know everything about it because it's great news. It could be Ed McMahon at the door. With, yeah, with, with my check. With your check. Speaking of Ed, if you're listening... Um, <laughs> Well, you know, uh, that word has also been one that I've looked at a lot um, before, the word gospel itself. Uh, that word gospel, it comes from a Greek word, <clears throat> evangelion, um, and it, it is, all, is good tidings, um, but it's also a reward for good tidings. Um, what's interesting about it is the way it's translated in most of our, um, our modern translations uh, or even the, the King James. Um, it's a general term. In the Greek, it just simply meant good news or a good message. Um, the news of Jesus is definitely good news. The one word, but this, this one word is, tr is also translated as gospel of Christ. Okay? The one word is translated gospel of Christ 11 times. Wow. It's translated gospel of God seven times. And the gospel of the kingdom three times. Mm. So it appears by its usage and the translation that it is not simply used to mean a good piece of news, right? but a very specific good piece of news. Absolutely. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul wanted to make sure we understood this. And, and this is to me is one of the, you might go, hey, you know what? I don't read all that. I don't need a Greek uh, concordance to understand the scriptures, and if you're there, that's fine. So let's look at the context and let's see what Paul tells us. Because if you want to know what the gospel is, he tells us uh, without any doubt in 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses there. And this is the ESV again. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Amen. And, you know, I think uh, I want to tack something onto that. That's um, probably something that, that may sound a little strange here, but it's in Matthew, uh, Matthew 26 in verse 6. Um, and uh, just follow me for a second. It's kind okay. of self-revealing. It says, Now when Jesus was, in Beth was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. 
and she poured it on his head, and he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were uh, indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me, and you, uh, for you have always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, that she has, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. So in light keeping with that, yes. um, since we've just established the gospel, I figured it'd be a good idea to throw that on there. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it's, uh, it's not very often that Jesus just stops the show and says, we're going we're gonna to switch the spotlight over to, uh, to someone else for a second, especially when we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah. And so if we're thinking about it in terms of death, burial, and resurrection, is that what we limit it to? I mean, n- not at all. I mean, people, people lump everything into this word. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll hear people say, um, you know, he's, he's preaching a different gospel. Right. And he still and he still believes Jesus Christ was dead, you know, died, buried, and was resurrected. He's not saying anything against that. He's exactly. teaching something that you just disagree with. Mm-hmm. Does that mean he's teaching a different gospel? Um, not no, not, not unless he's teaching that Jesus is, didn't die, wasn't buried, or wasn't resurrected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, and if we look at all the the places where this word gospel is used. I mean, you'll see warnings about um, about people using other gospels and this sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and so, whenever you get someone using a word, uh, using the word like that, then we start imposing. Okay, if gospel means he just preaches something that I don't believe, sure. Theologically, uh, maybe you know it's any number of things that separate denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you say, well, because he's preaching that, he's bringing another gospel, uh, I think is in error, uh, given what the definition of the word itself Well, and then it waters means. down the actual definition altogether. Correct. Because then we become dependent upon all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's places where um, uh, Romans 2 and verse 16, and I am back in the King James because I want to use a lot of these that are misused are used, misused a lot of times because... We've had 400 years of using it this way. Sure, yeah. So, uh, in the King James in Romans 2, verse 16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men of Jesus by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, so that's what he's going to judge people according to, the gospel. Now, we just defined the gospel as death, better, and resurrection of, of Christ, and obedience is to be in hearkening unto that. Mm-hmm. So... But if we are going to loop more things into it, well, then now Romans 2.16 means anything I just, I just put into the word gospel, mm-hmm. I've got a scripture for to back up why I'm right and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it doesn't mean that, and Paul didn't mean it uh, whenever he, he said it. And of course, there's many other places. Romans 10 and 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? That word, obey again. Mm-hmm. Once again, if this means every little thing that you teach or everything little thing you believe in mm-hmm. is gospel, then all of a sudden, someone who doesn't teach that or believe that is preaching another gospel. Or doctrine. 
Right, right. Which is a good point. Um, let's talk about that word. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the word doctrine mean? That is a great question. Yeah. Um, the, the word doctrine is actually, if we're going to go back to the Greek, and, and I know uh, we're probably geeking out with the Greek, but that's okay. Uh, because that's the language it was written in. It's true. But there's there's a few words that are used to uh, that are translated as this word doctrine, but they're all in the same vein. Um, uh, didache mm-hmm. uh, means teaching. Uh, didaskalia, which is obviously a derivative of that, means teachings. Um, Herodidaskaleo which is the opposite, a bad teaching mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a, a teaching that is an error or whatever, uh, a negative teaching. Mm-hmm. So you have the word is teaching. And, and I guess the thing that the biggest point that I want to make about this word doctrine is that you never hear it used in our English vernacular unless we're talking religion. Yeah, I think it's true. But yet you have the word, it simply means teaching. Or unless you're saying like indoctrined. I mean, that's kind of like... And then you kind of are indoctrinated. It's it's kind of like uh, even whenever you hear that, sometimes it's in a negative connotation, like mm-hmm. somebody's being uh, uh, brainwashed or something. Right. You know, um, but and it's we, still and along we, original. And we kind of do that. I mean, so it's like the word indoctrinate. I don't even think is is found in the King James Bible. It might be, uh, but if we look at this word, you know, um, as in teaching. Um, for example, the local college, mm-hmm. they have a doctrine. Sure. <laughs> they would have to. It, right. <laughs> <laughs> your college professor, he's got a doctrine. Sure. Your doctorate, probably. Yeah, and, and your high school, <laughs> your elementary, they all have doctrines. And you say that and you go, oh, oh, because it starts hitting your sensitivities as sure. because it has a religious connotation to it. Your but, religious radar starts going off. Yeah, but stop that. It's not. That's not what it it means. We need to simplify it. It's not some special um, some special form of of teaching. It can be used in scripture very simplistically mm-hmm. to mean um, uh, a very small thing. But where it starts getting scary is whenever we read uh, verses like uh, let's see how about Romans sixteen, where. Uh, this is part of the reasons why we can't seem to get along. <laughs> um, Mark them, which cost Yes. So it says in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, this is in the ESV, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. Now, by the way, when he says the doctrine, he means the teaching. Mm-hmm. When he says the teaching that you've been taught, he's not talking about you personally, in your specific denomination or whatever, he's talking about the Romans, mm-hmm. what they had been taught mm-hmm. by him and the disciples that were going around at the time. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I know a lot of times <coughs> we try and get away from the King James Version because it can sound so poetic that we lose things. And it's like, I mean, it's literally hard to read sometimes. Right. <clears throat> but it's funny because that particular, was that 17 you were reading, Romans 16, 17? Yes, yes. Um, it, it actually ends with, <clears throat> which you have learned. So literally the doctrine which you have learned. So it's a throwback to the same learn word. Yes. Instead of, you know, being taught. So um, so it's just interesting that, that the context clues just scream about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is a... I don't know. So the King James got it here in front of me. It says, Now beseech you, brethren, 
Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Now, if we take out the punctuation just for kicks and giggles, um, it could be talking about avoiding the doctrine which you have learned there too. So that's kind of funny. But um, but I digress. So, um, so the interesting thing to me about the word doctrine is that immediately, it's like you say, whenever you hear it or whenever I hear it, I tend to think this is grave. This is mm-hmm. a holy ground kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it's right. like you start talking Sacred. about... Yeah, exactly. And and so so now it's like contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and not just the teaching. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, earlier... Um, man, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jesus is talking about... Oh, that was this big old truck that just drove by. Oh, lovely. <laughs> you see, I told so you. We're in we're... North Texas, and uh, <laughs> he's headed for the river. Okay, so um, completely blown my train of thought here. But um, well, this this um... oh yeah, so it's Jesus. Whenever he's talking about his doctrine, okay, and yeah. he says it's not my doctrine, but him that sent me. Right. And and so so literally, Jesus is referring to his own teachings mm-hmm. as God's teachings. And now there is some reverence there because God's attached to it. Right. Um, but but it's like you say, you, you I, th- I think I wouldn't be wrong in saying you could probably replace doctrine with teaching throughout the entire Bible and be just fine. Correct. Pretty much. And and when we, if we read it that way, it would have a, 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 a different connotation to us simply because we wrap this sacred idea around the term. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you, you start talking about... Uh, doctrines and and uh the doctrine that's contrary and oh it acts 2 verse 42 this is whenever the church is just being created i mean this when you you've got this uh this this coming together and everyone is like uh communal and sharing everything right. and it says there in acts 2 verse 42 it says and they continued in the apostles doctrine is that a different doctrine altogether? <laughs> Which one do I? Yes. Uh, the, what do I believe? The apostles' doctrine. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I, I believe in Christ's is, doctrine. Is that one of them lost books of the Bible out there? <laughs> exactly. So you've got this. Okay, what's he saying? It's it's simple. It really is simple. Don't make it harder than what it is. Right. All it says is they listened to what the apostles were teaching them. Mm-hmm. That's really what it's saying. It's it's not saying that they adhered to some set of standards or some set of rules that were given to them that uh, superseded anything they had known before. Or, I mean, it does not make more of it mm-hmm. than what it is. Um, and of course, you know, it ties in. Um, the, oh, this this whole idea. I mean, it ties in all kinds of things because, okay, let's talk about this. If you've got doctrine, what's false doctrine? I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> so we're gonna drop the. It's just kind of like like math. It's like you you have doctrine, so now you're gonna drop the doctrine and add a teaching, and now you've just got teaching. Well, you're gonna add a false in front of doctrine, so you're gonna drop the doctrine and put teaching. Now you've got false teaching. <laughs> so. So but this is important because what we do is we get our connotation around the word doctrine, mm-hmm. and then we throw this word false in there, and then we misunderstand, you know, what that word is even, you know, necessarily meaning. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, let's just talk about the word false then, and how and and how the the Bible uses the word false. Let's talk about the way the English language uses the word false. Okay, so. 
so uh, it could be that your subject in the sentence is false. Mm-hmm. Um, if you said like, um, you will not surely die. <laughs> that's the one. Um, <clears throat> or, or you could say, um, uh, I mean, well, you, you talk about it, well, since we're talking about this, we'll leave it, leave it in Bible context, but in the English language, you say false teaching. Right. Is it the teaching that is false? Or is it the fact that the subject matter is false? Right, right. And, and so, I mean, if you extend that to, like, teacher, false teacher, mm-hmm. is, it, is it the actual person that is false? Are they, like, not a real person? Yeah. You know? Are they, are they a person who is teaching a doctrine which is false? Are they... <clears throat> you can get all, all kinds of confused on this. Yeah. Is it that they have false motives? Is it they're not really a teacher to begin with? <laughs> uh, and they're, they're substituting themselves and they're a fraud? But they're not a true teacher. Yeah. Um, they're not a true teacher. So... See, I mean, that, that's, that's the, you were talking about earlier, translating things into English isn't always easy. Right. And so right. when you get words like false, that you would think would be Boolean, you know, either true or false, mm-hmm. it's not exactly black and white like that. <laughs> well, and I think part of what, what um, part of the problem is that we've got so much, so many versions of Christianity mm-hmm. that whenever we read all these verses that are warning us against false teachers, false doctrines, false whatever, we, we immediately think about that guy we disagree with over there. Right. Instead of thinking about the context of what it was 2,000 years ago when this was written. Sure. What, what's he talking about? Because obviously there wasn't... These flavors weren't here. Baptist, Methodist, you know, Episcopalian, Pentecostal. You didn't have all those things exactly. back then. And so obviously they weren't talking about that guy down the street who has uh, a Christian belief but it's slightly different than yours in some way or the other. We're talking about the Gnostics. <clears throat> right, right. Yeah. So there's you know this drastic difference in what they were addressing and what we normally address. Um, let's, let's look at um, Matthew 7. This is still Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, but it's near the end of, of, um, of, of the, the sermon. In verse 15... He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And grapes are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, Jesus starts this warning talking about false prophets. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, now, we think of false, are we thinking incorrect? So he's teaching a wrong thing. He's teaching... Well, let's, let's talk about prophet for a second, just okay. so we get that established. In this sentence... What is he talking about? Is he talking about just a person who came to, to share something that's futuristic? Or is he talking about someone who came to share truth? Or, mm-hmm. or, or what is it here? Well, in their, in their mindset, they're thinking prophets as in Isaiah, Ezekiel, these guys. And so a prophet would have been someone with a direct line to God. So what I'm saying is coming from God. 
And so false prophet, if you were going to define it that way, would could be defined as someone who doesn't have a direct line to God but says he does. So okay. that's kind of how I see it. That's kind of how I see it, what he's saying here. And it makes sense in the context of what he's saying because what, is he, what, is, what does he say this guy does? Mm-hmm. Well, he, he dresses himself up like a sheep even though he's a wolf. Right. Now, what is a wolf's intentions in a flock of sheep? Lunch. Yes. <laughs> and here we are talking about food again. <laughs> <laughs> he does not have good intentions. This is not the guy in the church down the street that disagrees with you on a small little thing. This is a guy who has evil intentions. His in, he goes into this with the, mm-hmm. with the idea and the, and the desire to destroy. He's an evil man. That's what he wants to do. He wants yep. to, to tear these people up. He wants to cause problems. That's sure. his whole goal. Well, and, and in the King James Version, it, it actually uses the word ravening. Yes. It's not even just like a friendly, oh, that's a cute wolf. Look, take a picture. It's like ravening wolf. Uh, he's starving to death. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so obviously, where does Jesus go? How, do you, how can you tell? How can you tell that this is a wolf? Well, you examine his fruits. Hmm. Okay. Imagine that. So instead of just saying, well, that guy disagrees with me, why don't you look at his fruit? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is he generating fruit? Fruit in the name of Jesus Christ is God's name being glorified by the work that's being done by somebody. Mm-hmm. So you can't label them as something that Jesus is calling evil here if he's generating good fruit for Christ. Mm-hmm. And it, go you ahead. Know, there's a I can't think of the verse or even even the guys involved right now, but uh, but there's a, a place I think it's in Luke uh, maybe where. Um, where I think it's two of the two of the apostles come back to to Christ and they're they're, you know, being knuckleheads like always. Yeah. And and they come up and they're like, Hey Jesus, so we saw this guy who's casting out devils in your name. We told him to stop. Yeah. And Jesus kind of came unglued and he was like, Why'd you do that for? Good. And this isn't the Colin Parallel version, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, he's like any anyone who's doing this in my name is not against me. He's for me. Right. Right. And uh, and so I, I think that echoes directly over to what we're talking about here is in the fruits of the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And they had the same problem in that day. Men who were talking with Jesus in his circle had the same problem in identifying this. Oh yes, it's because it's human nature. We're sure. we're exclusion exclusionary, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> kind of by default. But you know, and and of course, once again, verses and chapters and that sort of thing has caused us to pull a lot of this stuff out of context. Right. So. Uh, what I think is really cool about this whole thing about false prophets and about the the good fruit and the bad fruit in the very next passage, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and done mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that is such a perfect way to explain that verse. Because mm-hmm. you can take that. That can be a joy killer. Mm-hmm. That can be like a... Like is you, that me? Yeah. Am I <laughs> Am I this person? No, I think I believe. Do I really believe? You know, and, and I mean, I've been guilty of thinking those things. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you... Yeah, I think any, any good person would, would want to examine themselves like that. Right. And, and so you can literally get caught up in that. And it can cause some pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but that verse right there, if you just read the context of it, obviously is saying there are people who will be calling upon him, Lord, Lord, in that day, but 
maybe they're doing so for alternate motives. Right. And, and how I understand this, given that he was just talking about these false prophets and, and this word false, meaning not honest, mm-hmm. that, that what these people saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? They're liars. <laughs> they, they aren't, they're not honestly saying, oh, we did all this good stuff and we're trying and, and, and was it not enough? That's not what's happening. Exactly. They're lying and they're saying, no, we were doing it too. We were doing it too when they weren't. Right. And well, they were, but they weren't. <laughs> or they weren't in, in, in heart and spirit. There was exactly. no love there. There was no, whatever. I didn't know you. Exactly. And, and that's the whole thing, having a relationship. So in, in a like manner, the word true is often misused as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, once again, it comes from our standpoint of just wanting to find problems with everybody else. But sure. but the word true uh, is the opposite of false, and we were just talking about what false meant. It meant not honest, not not uh, sincere. Um, but this word truth is right the opposite of that. Someone who is honest and someone who uh, who is true in what they're doing. Uh, the yeah, there's a there's a cool little <coughs> segue in here. Like I don't know if it's a segue or not, but it's a it's a cool little blurb. Um, uh, between, I guess it's Pilate and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in John 18. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to make this uh, this screen go to a full text here. I'll just use it here. Go to the old-fashioned style. Um, Colin works in the IT industry, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my handwriting's horrible. Um, so, John... 18 and 38 is where we'll be pulling the, the, the large portion of what we're looking at here. But, um, but it's interesting because in this whole thing, um, this is, of course, where you know, the arrest and trial of Jesus is going on. And, uh, and, and, and I guess I'll start back in like 33. It says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And... Um, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing thyself, or did the others tell it of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and thy chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then I would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Mm. And then Pilate goes further, and this is, this is the really cool part here. He says, Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And I don't know if this section right here is because Pilate was concerned, or if it's because Pilate was being contrary. Like, because, yeah, sarcastic. Yeah, well, what is <coughs> truth? You know, yeah, like kind of this pompous pilot kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like that was enigmatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of wonder because of verse 37, he says, To this end was I born, and for this cause I come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And now Pilate's asking, what's truth? Mm-hmm. Almost like, 
should I have this? And Pilate kind of has that kind of a thing going on anyway. He kind of, he straddles the road here. Yeah. Um, he he kind of wants to let him go and then kind of can't. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and thus Jesus saying he's... Because he can't afford a riot amongst the Jews and he really can't afford to wrongfully kill this guy. Sure. And, uh, and I think it's really awesome here because Jesus basically just takes all that off of him anyway because he's struggling with it. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. Even if you could, you couldn't. Right. It's, yeah. it's not your will. It's not in your wheelhouse. You, this is above you and beyond you. And, uh, and, and he, he even points out at one point, he says, you know, um, he, that, he that sent you has a greater sin. Right. So it's not on you, Pilate. So, um, so Pilate, even at that point... Asking the question, what is, what is truth? truth? And, of course, Jesus had kind of answered that by saying, you know, those, those ones that are of the truth. Mm-hmm. Will will uh, will be the ones that that are of his kingdom, and um, that you know one of the things that I, I have found in my study of this word truth, it's very fascinating. It's everywhere. Aletheia yeah. is the Greek word, and it's everywhere, and it simply just means to be true, and you know, like we would use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, I love the fact that Jesus Himself, more than once. Uh, applies this word in reference to him. You know, in John uh, 14, in verse uh, 6, he says the famous quote there, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he says, I am the truth. That's, mm-hmm. So he, he labels himself as the truth. Uh, in his prayer a couple of chapters later, he's praying to God, and he was telling him, you know, sanctify these followers of mine with mm-hmm. truth. Your word is truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so God's word is truth, and there's a double meaning there. Mm-hmm. John writing this. What does the word word mean? Logos. What does it mean? Right. Well, in the very first chapter, John uses it as a reference to Jesus Himself. Mm-hmm. So it, he, you could read it. Jesus is the truth. Mm-hmm. In that same and sanctify them. That's to be made holy. What do mm-hmm. you make them holy with? Make them holy by me. Mm-hmm. Make them holy with me. I'm the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think a lot of the times, if you we were just going through and uh, plugging the word Jesus in for like every other word, in the ever, Bible. ever, yeah. everywhere you saw the word truth, and see if it how it reads. Sure, it's pretty amazing. There's some homework for you guys out there to do. <laughs> Is you know just see how that New Testament reads whenever you put Jesus's name in place mm-hmm. of the word truth. Um, one, the one last thing on truth that I'd like to bring up is in John 4, verse 23, where Jesus is meeting with this woman at the well. And uh, uh, this is Michael's favorite passage in the Bible. And so hopefully I don't destroy it. But uh, he says there um, that there will come a time when the true worshipers, so there's that true worship, will worship in the Father in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do a poll across people and ask them, what does that mean? Like, yeah, you got to have it right, brother. Yes. You oh. better get it right. <laughs> Almost any denomination, and they'll tell you that that word, spirit, okay, we know spirit, you know. But you don't. Get the hands up. <laughs> <laughs> but truth is the, is what does truth mean? And everyone seems to interpret this to mean correctly, worship yeah. in a correct fashion. And... Um, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. If that's what Jesus meant, he did her a disservice because she went away and he didn't explain what 
that correct method of worship was. And you know, I want to point out something really interesting about this verse is that this is like a changing of the guard as far as worship goes. Mm-hmm. This is like, because um, he's talking about, backing up a second, um, in verse 21 he says, uh, you know, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what, for we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is like, uh, I think this directly ties in, because not only is it a changeover from going into the mountain and worshiping or going mm-hmm. into the synagogue and worshiping, it's it's worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's a new, groundbreaking definition of how we worship. And, yes. and not only that, I think it's self-telling because... He says that when you have this change that happens, you're going to directly tie this back to what was. Mm-hmm. And you're going to remember what was. He even references, he says, there was a time when you did these things. You right. went into this. And now if we look back to, to those who went to the synagogue and worship, did they, did they worship falsely? Many times. Did they, <laughs> did they worship incorrectly? <clears throat> You know, and, and, and what's really interesting to me, it's kind of like the Old Testament versus the New Testament. In fact, it's actually that. But, but whenever you go in and you look at all the rules, all the rules to follow, and mm-hmm. all of everything, if it wasn't explicit in the Old Testament, it wasn't meant to be explicit in the Old Testament because they had rules upon rules for everything. Right, right. And so whenever they go in to make their worship, they had rules for everything. They had, they had rules for taking their shoes off of of their feet for, you know, putting on things on their heads and for lighting this first and then that and offering mm-hmm. what kind of fire it was and whether or not it was strange before God and, and all this kind of stuff. And so if anybody had all of the ammunition to get it right and true, it would have been them. Correct. And they didn't. They didn't. And his whole point there is that it's going to happen differently. He's actually making the point against what everyone takes it to mean. Right, exactly. Be- because what he's saying is... The place is insignificant. Sure. You, you're not even knowing what you're worshiping. Well, she knew what she worshiped. She worshiped God, right? Yahweh. She worshiped the same God, but he's told her, you don't know what you worship. Mm-hmm. In other words, the place is your God. Yep. The place is more important than the Father. And the Father is a spirit. And that's why he needs you to worship truly. Exactly. Worship in honesty. Mm-hmm. And what did he get on to him over and over and over again in the Old Testament for? Isaiah, Micah. I mean, all these places where he says, I hate your sacrifices. I hate the sounds of, of praise you make unto me. I, I just wish that you would shut the doors. I think mm-hmm. it says in Micah, would somebody shut the door to the temple, please? Fat. <laughs> On rams and bullocks. I'm sick of it. And why is he sick? These are things he told them to do. Yeah. But the problem was they weren't doing it truly. Exactly. They they were doing it while they were worshiping Moloch and everybody else. Sure. So he was like, you know what? Don't even bother. Yep. And and I need people that'll do it truly. Who really sure. who really love me. And I and so I think that that's that is you know the whole context of that. Um, a couple more I want to cover before we get out of here. Um, just because they're big ones, but um, in 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 terms of heresy, is a word that's used, you know, a lot of times, and it's in the scriptures a, a few times, and and so not to 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 overly dwell on it, but I think that it's one of these verse, one of these words 
that got misunderstood very early on, and it's been so misunderstood for so long that now in the English dictionary, if you go look it up in the English dictionary, it means something totally different mm-hmm. than what it meant in the Greek mm-hmm. whenever it was used. Uh, the one verse that I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 11. Now this is, is of course, Paul talking about uh, their assembly and their Lord's Supper and all that sort of thing. Um, but I want to look there in uh, verse 17. And I'm going to read it in the King James because that's part of where this word heresy got its uh, definition. So in, in verse 17 it says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye came, that you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also, so there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Okay, so this word heresy, if you look it up in the modern day dictionary, it's going to say a false teaching or a teaching that goes contrary to the church. That is the Catholic definition of the word. That's not what it meant uh, in this time. In fact, it's not even a fully translated word. It's a transliterated word. The original Greek is heresis. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the word. Uh, mm-hmm. There was no formal, at the time of the King James translation, no formal uh, word to use to, um, to translate it, so they left it. And uh, so this word heresy uh, beca- became to mean this concept that a teaching or something that is against the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is not what he uses it for here at all. In the original Greek, it meant a, um, a separation, a sect, uh, a party. Okay, so for example, in... Sadducees or the Pharisees. Exactly. Sadducees, Pharisees. Christians. Those, Christians. All those were, were heresies. In mm-hmm. fact, the word heresy is actually used in a couple of other places in a good way. Uh, when Paul says, I am of the Christian heresy. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. It says sect. It gets translated as sect for sure. whatever reason there. But, uh, but it's the same Greek word. So here, what this verse means uh, in light of that context he says for uh he's griping at them because they've divided and he says there's divisions among you and i partly believe it for there must also be factions or parties among you mm. so that those that are quote unquote approved may be made manifest so you may know who's right and who's not that's is that not what we've done throughout christian history right we've divided up so we know who's right and who's wrong sure and um, so, but what it meant was uh, a division. And so that makes verses that talk about heretics and the one that we read of in, in Romans 16, they all go hand in hand. It's talking about not true Christians, not people that are truly following Christ. It's talking about people who are factions, that are par- partisans. They, they want a following of their own. Uh, I think it says there in Romans they are trying to fill their own bellies. Right. They're not interested in uh, getting along with others. They want their own following. And so um, those passages that talk about heretics, so people will say, oh, that's a bunch of heresy. Mm-hmm. Well, 
That's <laughs> a misuse of the word. <laughs> but it's one of those, it's very hard to back out because it's so um, ingrained in our thinking. But just know that if you find a verse that uses the word heresy or heretic, it's not talking about someone who is teaching false teachings or er teachings in error, but it's talking about someone who is trying to divide. That's what their goal is. Right. And so, for example, the person who says, well, I'm going to create my own group because I disagree with you. Exactly. That's a heretic by the true definition of the word. And if you look at the, the, the treatment of the heretics, like a true heretic in the Bible, it actually is a little more aggressive uh, than, than most other types to watch out for. You know, whenever mm -hmm. he says, be on the watch for a heretic, he's like, yeah, it's uh, what after the second time reject or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, it's a little more serious because um, it's a, a little more detrimental. Well, yeah, because if a, if a divisive person is going to stay in the midst, he's going to divide. Exactly. So the idea is get him out of there before it divides. Right. It doesn't mean create a division because of him. Exactly. <laughs> it's get him away so you don't divide. Right. That's the whole point. Uh, the last one I want to look at, just because of it's a big one, is faith. The word faith. Now, how can we misunderstand the word faith? Well, I don't know, David. What faith are you of? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It's probably not the same faith you belong to. <laughs> So, <clears throat> so once again, the word faith does not mean um, a denomination. No. <laughs> or a group. Or rarely <laughs> does anything mean a denomination. <laughs> but, um, you know, to, to better understand faith, um, I, I've always found it was easier to attack things backwards. For some reason, my brain works like that, I think. Uh, okay. You're a backwards thinker. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's easier to get to faith and understand it because faith is really abstract. Um, but to go with something that we can tangibly use, like okay. belief. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I don't know, you, you may remember all the old Massimo shirts, like seeing is believing, and yes. walk by faith yeah. and all this kind of stuff, right? So, so and in fact, a lot of, of culture today just says, you know, well, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. If it's not recorded, it didn't happen, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, right. and so we, can, we <clears throat> kind of have an understanding of what belief is, mm -hmm. you know, um, just based off of how widely it's used. Um, to believe something is to believe something, and, uh, and you know to to buy into it, to to understand it, to uh, to accept it, to acknowledge it. You know, you believe, and um, and what's really interesting is there um, there are instances where you know people will will throw up opposition to verses which are are very key, um, and uh, in. And, and I mean, take John three sixteen, probably one of the most popular verses worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, and if you take the word believe um, out of that, that, that verse is just weightless. Right. And, um, you know, you take other verses like what Mark 16, 16, where, um, you know, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So you take, you take believe out of that and it's just, it's just weightless. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so then you jump over to fun verses like James. Was it James 2, 17, 18, somewhere in there? Yeah. Um, faith without works. and. Well, I was going a step further with, uh, with the devil's belief oh, yeah. and tremble, <laughs> right? And so yes. now, now we're just like, we're going to have things oozing out of our ears here because we can't comprehend how something can believe and not be saved. Right. So how can a devil believe and not be saved? And, and, uh, and I think the answer is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of faith. Mm -hmm. Because... 
Um, Meaning faith and belief aren't necessarily the same thing. The same thing. Yeah, because let's let's say for instance that you take uh, you take belief you take the devils for example and uh, and they they recognize Jesus mm-hmm. I mean all throughout the New Testament whenever you see a, a, a possessed person and, and and Jesus walks up they freak out yeah you know have mercy like, on us it's like whoa are you here to kill me now I thought right. I had a few more days here right. Jesus you know uh, uh, there's a pig over there. He looks like, can you just throw me in that and, and I'll run off the cliff, you know, and we are many. You know, it, they, they never even hesitate when the king walks up. They know him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a matter of, of having to, to close your eyes and believe that Santa Claus is real kind of belief. Right. It's they know he's real. They mm-hmm. believe because they know him. And I think that they know him because they're on the same plane. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just like if you lived in a country, you know who the president is. You know, you just know that information. Right, it's, right. it's 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 commonplace to you. But but with these with these demons, they don't have to have faith, right? Because they have other methods just of knowledge. getting to belief. And uh, and and for us, unfortunately, we have to have a way to mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. We can't just simply believe. We have to have something to build that on. And we have to have because we can't actually physically see Jesus. Right. He doesn't come in and and you know heal us anymore. You know he doesn't touch our garment. We don't. We're not able to touch his garments and be cleansed of leprosy or whatever. It's we don't have that, and so we have to have something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if like if he told Thomas, you know, blessed are you for being able to touch me and, and believe. Right. But more blessed are those that that will not see exactly, but still believe. And so so if we just had some kind of a I don't know some kind of a proof or maybe some evidence or a substance <laughs> or something. Yeah, like in Hebrews? Like in Hebrews. <laughs> so, well, and that brings us into, of course, the word hope, which is one that we didn't cover in our in our list here, but we could have because sure. we read hope differently than the, te- than the New Testament does. But it says that faith is the substance of things hoped, hoped for. for. Okay. And the evidence of things not, not seen. seen. Right. So, First off, the word hope, we'll just quickly touch on that. It does not mean something wished for. Exactly. Hope is a foreknowledge of something. You you are certain of it. You're awaiting for it. Exactly. It's, it's an anchor to your soul, as another part in Hebrews tells us. So it, it says it's the substance of that. Mm-hmm. It's the substance of what makes you so sure that it's going to happen mm-hmm. in the future. Absolutely. It's, it's a foreknowledge. And... You know, one word that you rarely hear associated with faith, but I think should be associated with faith even more so than belief, and that is the word trust. Mm, 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 mm. Trust in this knowledge. Mm-hmm. You trust in what the Bible's telling you. Uh, a good example is, um, and, and, and this has been used, this is a story that's been used before um, in reference to understanding faith. Um, there, was a, um, there was a tightrope walker named Blondin, who used to do all these huge tightrope tricks, you know, all over the place, you know, travel around doing. And he was at the Niagara Falls, and they oh, had, he had a tightrope stretched across Niagara Falls. And he would get out there and walk across the tightrope, and he'd go all the way across and back, and everyone's cheering, et cetera, et cetera. He gets a wheelbarrow, and he puts the wheelbarrow onto the uh, tightrope, and he walks across the Niagara Falls with this wheelbarrow. And he comes back, and, and everyone's cheering. Yay, yay, Blondin, you're so great, and all this. And he said he looked at a little 
15-year-old child who was there, and he was like, you want to see me do it again? Do you think I can do it again? And he was like, yeah, I think you can do it again. He was, he was like, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, jump in and let's find out. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and that shows you the difference between belief and faith because the child made this, oh, I believe it. I believe yeah, you can do it. Absolutely. But I'm not willing to get in there right. and go through the trial with you and, and have enough trust in it mm-hmm. that you're not going to drop me <laughs> into the falls. Right. And that's, to me, the major difference between faith and belief. Um, well, whenever Jesus comes back, we're not going to need our faith. We're going to see him. Correct. I mean, he's going to be. It's not going to take a lot of trust to know it at that no. point. At that point, you're going to kind of every <laughs> knee shall bow, stuff starts to hit and, and click, and 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 so at that point, everyone will know, everyone mm-hmm. will believe, and uh, and it will be apparent. Right. And uh, so that's kind of where faith hangs out. And there's a lot of these verses that that throw us for a loop. Uh, one of them being, um, let's see, First Corinthians 16 and 13, um, which. I'm going to read it in the King James just because it sounds so eloquent. (laughs) Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Okay? So, um, stand fast in the faith. Okay, now what is that saying? Well, if we... Quickly, (laughs) quickly. Just for a second. If, if we start looking at what he's what what is going on here, uh, of course he's telling them he, goodbye. He's he's ending his letter, and like he does in a lot of these, he tells everybody be remain faithful, persevere, persevere. Correct. He's not he's not saying now whatever your little group is, your faith is <laughs> versus that guy's faith over there. You be strong in yours, and you don't quit, and you. Do, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you're going to have trials, okay? You need to keep strong in this trusting belief that you'll be carried through it. And so you have all these passages that read very much like this about keeping the faith. That simply means staying faith. Uh, The word faithful also has this connotation. We always read the word faithful like it means obedience, like a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a a faithful dog or whatever. He's a faithful servant. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. What does that mean? Does that mean, well, that servant was very obedient? Um, it could be, but not necessarily. That's not really what I believe the context of, of it is saying. It is that he's trusting. That was the, the parable of the talents. Mm-hmm. The ones who trusted him were the ones who invested, the ones who weren't scared, the ones who went out there in the world and they became part of it. And you know, the funny thing about that happen. story, the funny thing about that story is, is the first guy. Bless his heart. We got to throw that in there because we got. We're gonna <laughs> Bless talk, his little heart. We're going to talk about him. Um, it, he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. He did what ninety percent of America would do, especially right. given the current economy. We'd take the thing and bury it in our backyard. You know, um, he didn't take a chance on it. Right. He right. didn't invest it. He didn't use it. But he didn't blow it. <laughs> you know, he right. still saved it. Yes. And, and so that's that's one of the things that's always been really shocking to me is is how. How much of a bad rap he gets? Yeah, okay, well, sure, he didn't he didn't make anything forward, but I think that just speaks to the nature of why we're here, right? You know, right. You, we're given so many things from God, and and we could take him and we could bury him, and and we'd be just fine. But whenever we are freed from our sin, 
And whenever we are freed through the ability to have faith and to mm-hmm. believe in Christ and to obey we're the trust, gospel. And we're trusting <laughs> with it. <laughs> when we put all of these things in motion, we don't have to worry about ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, the risk is gone. Yes. We're now freed up, free from bondage, free from sin, able to invest. Outside ourselves. Exactly. Right. And, and pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And move out of that box. Right. And that's why Jesus said, those who, who have been forgiven much, love much. Mm. Whenever he was talking to Simon the Pharisee. That, that you know, forgiveness comes with this love. Mm-hmm. Lo- love goes out of you. Uh, if you're so focused on your own salvation, you're never going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be focused only inwardly. Uh, but finally, one, one thing about faith, that about being faithful, obviously Revelation 2.10 is a popular verse, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Read the context. Yep. He's saying there's all kinds of problems going to come. It's going to be a mess out there. There's a, there's a world against you, but be faithful, be trusting, mm-hmm. be uh, full of faith until death so that you can receive the crown. And even God himself in 1 Corinthians 1 uh, verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called. Okay, now wait a minute. Does that mean God is obedient? No, it means God is trustworthy. Hmm. And that's what he's saying. Be trustworthy. Be, you're, you're wanting to be like God. You want to be faithful. Like sure, God. sure. Well, an amazing study. It went on a little longer than I thought. But, uh, well, you know, <laughs> the guys at work were all taking a poll on how long I could talk. So... <laughs> Yeah, you get me and and you both in the in the room, and <laughs> it could go all night. That's true. Well, it has. Yeah. Oh, you guys got uh, time? We- <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So, yeah, just kidding. Well, the Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more or to partner with us, visit us at gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter there and stay up to date on all the latest from our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema. There are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. You can call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And don't forget to leave us comments there and rate us. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. Follow us on Instagram at Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. Colin, thanks so much for being here, brother, and filling in for Jeremiah. My pleasure. All right. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission transmission.